0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie, and this is Joel, and we are the pastors at Resurrection City. Um, and we, if, normally, we don't do this together. So if you're wondering what's going on here, uh, we're taking a little bit of a break from our Philippians sermon series. We're going to wrap that up next week. Um, and then we're going to start a totally new series in the fall with our fall kickoff. But before we did that, we just wanted to take a minute to kind of come back to what are we doing here as a church? Why do we do this? Who are we and what are we trying to kind of accomplish or, or do? Or what do we do with who we worship and how we do that together? And so when we're going to look at this from a, a different angle than maybe we have in the past, although I think you'll find a lot of it sounds very similar to what we usually talk about. Uh, But our main vision, before we jump into that, I just want to say our main vision stays the same. So, our vision to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King, has been our vision from the very beginning, and it's going to continue to be that. Um, And so, but this morning, we just wanted to take a second to think about what does that look like right now? How do we do that as a church? Um, I think you've probably experienced this as people, right? Like in different seasons, you set different goals, or you kind of, have a different vision for yourself, maybe personally, maybe in your family, uh, maybe even in your work. You kind of have different seasons where this is really what you're focusing on, and maybe that changes as things change. And so, as a church, we just wanted to kind of take a second to breathe and say, What is it? What's our vision right now? What are we focusing on? Um, and if you've been with us from the very beginning, or if you're new, um, I just wanted to give you a reminder of all the change we've been through in our short uh, life thus far as a church. So if you were with us from the very beginning, um, we launched our church in January 2019, which seems like a lifetime ago at this point. Um, but we launched and we met in Hamlin Elementary School just down the street. And before that, even we, before we officially launched, there was a group of people Who met together to pray and to plan and to kind of get ready for starting this church. And then, about a year after we officially launched, you all know that COVID happened, and we as a church had to figure out how to meet together online. And what did that look like? What does community look like? What does it look like to worship Jesus um, in a virtual space? And so, we made that transition. Um, And you may even remember at that point, we kind of went through a, we had a a vision set for that time too. We talked about what it looked like to live worthy of the call of Christ uh, and of the gospel. And then in July of 2020, uh, so just over a year ago, we started meeting here in person in this space. And there was a new space for us uh, for Sunday mornings. And we had lots of different um, COVID restrictions. We didn't get to Uh, sing out loud and worship together in that way. We had to social distance. Um, We had all these different things kind of in place. And I just want to give a shout out again to our worship team for leading us through that, figuring out how to worship together without singing out loud. Uh, To our welcome team who played hostess and host as they sat everybody in the seating chart. Our AV team who figured out how to stream everything online and made it so we can even still do that now. And honestly, I could go on and on. It's been a, a roller coaster of a ride uh, as a church. And I think as I look back at the, the last two and a half years, it's been a roller coaster for me and Joel for sure. But I know it's been for all of you as well, because we are all in this vision and in this mission together. And it's been that way since the very beginning. Some of you were there in the, in the rooms where we planned, you know, how are we going to meet together in an elementary school? What are we going to do with community groups? How are we going to do all these different things? What is it going to look like for us to worship God as a community? Um, and so from the very beginning, Joel and I have never seen this as our church, uh, because first of all, we always see it as Jesus's church. That's number one. But number two is that we've always seen it as a team effort. This has never been something um, where there's star players or there's, like, leaders that are, you know, the only important people in the church. But we've seen it as a team effort, a group thing. And so as we reflect on all of that, the changes that we've been through in the last two and a half years, we just wanted to take time to, again, get together as a family, as a team, and say, what are we doing? What's our goal? Why are we here? And so that's what we're going to be doing today. Um, we're just going to take a look at some different things about how we can do that and how we can live out our mission uh, to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King, how we can live that out in this current season. And wrapped up in that are going to be a lot of ideas that we talk pretty regularly about at Resurrection City. The idea that in Christ, when we choose to follow him as our Savior and King, he makes us new. He transforms us. He gives us a new identity, a new purpose, a new belonging, and a new community to be a part of. And then through that, uh, we are made into new people who live new lives and share that newness and spread that in the areas that we live and work and play and anywhere we go and spend our time. And we do this all with the hope that one day, the the promise that we know that God is going to be faithful to, that one day he's going to come back and make everything new. He's going to complete the work that he started when he died and rose again um, and and make all things new, all of creation, all of us, all of everything around us into completeness and to newness. And so an idea that kind of sums a lot of that up is this idea in St. Paul as it is in heaven. So this is not a new idea. Um, You've probably, if you looked around at other churches, you probably even see other churches use this phrase with their city or their location. Um, And really it's not new because Jesus said it first. It's in the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed this morning and which we pray regularly here at Resurrection City. Um, The idea comes from the phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as a church, that's what we really want to orient ourselves around in this current season. What does it look like for us to pray and to live and to uh, worship in a way that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in St. Paul as it is in heaven? And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that idea. Joel is going to give us a little bit more of a um, kind of a theological background of like, what does that even mean? How does that work? What is heaven even? Um, Got a lot of different ideas about that. And then I'm going to walk through uh, three different things that we really want to focus on to try and see that happen in this next season as a church.
1: Yeah. So like Julie said, um, we want to talk today a little bit about uh, what it means for us to live in St. Paul as it is in heaven, um, but in order for us to understand that, I think we got to take a step back and we got to ask, well, what does Jesus mean when he tells us to pray this way on earth as it is in heaven? Um, I think it's safe to assume that if Jesus, you know, gave us this prayer, and if if you read the account, he says, like, hey, when you pray, pray like this. Okay, so it's kind of like a a command or a summons almost, a challenge uh, to say, like, when you're praying, this is kind of how you should think about prayer. Um, I don't think it necessarily means you have to pray this exact, you know, you know, these exact words every time, but Let this frame how you think when you pray about what you ought to be desiring. And in order for us to do that, we have to understand what it is we're saying, you know? Uh, It can't be something where we just recite it. That happens a lot in church, I think, where we, we recite things, we say things over and over again without knowing exactly what we mean by that. But when Jesus says, you know, pray in this way, he has a whole backstory, a whole understanding of what it means to say something like, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we thought, let's just spend a little bit of time talking about that so we can understand what it means for us to desire that as we live it out uh, as a church. Um, so, so what does it mean, on earth as it is in heaven? And again, let's step back even further. What does even heaven mean? Like, what is Jesus talking about when he talks about heaven? I don't know how much we actually think about heaven anymore today. Uh, We live in a world that I think, you know, some people do or don't believe in heaven. um, But even if we do, we live in a world that really is very focused on the the present. And I think that's why we live in a world where, you know, everything has become so political. Right, Because we think, we have this sort of view of the, of, of the world as split up between two spaces, a physical world and a spiritual world. And so the spiritual world is kind of where heaven is, um, and the physical world is where heaven isn't. And so everything takes on a very political dimension that doesn't really have anything to do with heaven. And so when we do talk about what heaven is, um, you know, we, we get pictures like we, we see. In, in, and I've actually, it's been interesting. There's been some TV shows and movies that have been coming out here recently that are kind of thinking about this, which I find really interesting. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen the show The Good Place. It was a show me and Julie uh, really enjoyed. Uh, there's another show I've not watched. This one on Amazon Prime, though, called Upload, which is a, a show about a guy who goes to uh, the afterlife. Um, and actually, just for whatever reason, the YouTube algorithm decided to I needed to see a trailer to a new Netflix uh, show called uh, Afterlife of the Party. Uh, so I watched the trailer for that. Um, but again, so whatever we do, think about this. But what, what kind of you know what kind of it seems clear in our view of heaven is that it's this sort of spiritual location we go to, um, that's really not on earth or of this reality. And we go there after we die. And it's kind of a cushy retirement home for good people, right? That's kind of what we think of when we think of heaven. You know, people who tried their hardest on earth and didn't always get it right, but, you know, if you really look at them, you know it's not their fault when they did bad stuff, and so they still, you know, deserve to end up where the good people go at the end of it. Um, And we have, in order to reach this place, we have to pass through death in order to get there. Now, this is, this is not really the view of what heaven is when you look at it in the Bible. This is a very, you know, there's some aspects to that where it makes sense to where that's kind of what's developed for us, uh, right? But it's really not accurate to say this is what the Bible means when it talks about heaven. Heaven, you know, at its base sort of understanding of what it is, is just, it's simply God's space. It's the space that he dwells in where his presence thickly occupies the space, where his rule as creator is acknowledged and, and lived out and obeyed, um, and where there's blessing and flourishing and life sort of flows out from it. That's, that's heaven. Okay? It's where things are as they should be. And when people in the Bible experience heaven... It's, it's a breathtaking thing to them. Like you, you see that they have a hard time explaining what they're seeing. They try to put it in imagery that we might understand, but you also can see them straining to sort of explain what's going on because um, life is wholly different. Um, it, it, you know, to, to them as they're in that space. It's almost otherworldly or alien to them. And you really, you know, when you really read passages where, where people are in God's presence like that. You can sort of understand it. It's really wild. It doesn't make any sense to us as modern readers. And, and, and even to the readers in, in its own time, I think it didn't make total sense all the time. And that's actually because it didn't make sense, right? That's because it's an experience with something else okay? It's, it's God's presence where his will is done, where he's hallowed, and sort of everything follows from that. And it's different. We don't know what that's like fully. We see glimpses of it here, I think, in our, in our world, but, but it's so foreign to us still to really be in that, in that space. Now, in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, there are spaces where heaven and earth do overlap, Okay, uh, and Tim Mackey, the, the one of the Bible Project guys, he's used the analogy of wireless hotspots, which I find really helpful to think about. Right, you're you're standing in a certain place, and you can kind of you know feel the overlap, right? That you're connected to something uh, else that you can only be in in that spot. And some of those some of those spaces in the Old Testament are this. I'm just going to give you a few of them, but I actually spent some time this week nerding out, and I wrote a little little paper, uh, which is kind of like, it walks through kind of how the story is unpacked of God's space and our space. And it's not just sort of like an idea, but it's actually a story. Um, So if you would like to, you know, if you'd like to get that, I I would love to send it to you. Um, I spent some time writing it. There's pictures in it, um, if that's a draw for you at all. Um, But, you know, I I think you'll enjoy it. Um, And uh, it's like, you know, today what I'm doing, you know, we're we're taking the, the, the plane ride, right? We're flying from, you know, uh, Minneapolis to LA, right? So we're getting to the destination, but I, I encourage you to take the road trip to really understand how we get to this place, kind of see how the landscape sort of develops into what becomes Los Angeles or California as you travel from Minnesota, okay? And that's what this, this paper is kind of designed to, to be. Um, but the places in, in the Old Testament where we find God's space overlapping with ours is Eden, In the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve are dwelling in a place where God's presence is sort of thickly filling it. But because of the fall, that's been closed off now. So the sort of um, coming into the full space that God occupies has been cut off to all humans now because of what happens in Genesis 3. And so now there's this longing for God's presence to return, but we find it return in the book of Exodus when the Israelites uh, put up the tabernacle, the sort of mobile tent that would move along with the Israelites where God's presence occupied. And eventually, they turned the tabernacle into a permanent space called the temple. And, and it's, they used the language of house to describe this space. So it is God's house. It's where he dwells. Now, with these spaces... Regulations have to be put in place because of, of the sin of, of Israel, right? Because they're, they're people, they come into it not purified. And so there are these regulations that have to be put in place in order for them to dwell with God. Because of what, what has happened in Genesis 3 now, the sort of perfect communion of heaven and earth has, has sort of been shattered. And so, in order for that to happen, you needed a priest to sacrifice, to mediate, to sort of keep it so that the people who are entering that space are, are pure enough to be able to do it. And the Lord's Prayer sums up all of this expectation of sort of longing for God's space to be with us on earth, and not just in one point, not just in one building or tent, but in all the earth. And and we find this in in the one sense of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the hope in the Old Testament and the New Testament, isn't that we would die and escape earth to go occupy some spiritual space that you know can't cross over with our reality, but it's that the overlap of God's presence and rule would spread out to not just be contained to one location, but to fill the earth more and more and more until someday there will no longer be any barrier or gaps between God's presence and ours. All of earth will be eaten one day again. That's the hope uh, of the Bible. Now, Jesus is himself actually the ultimate answer to this prayer. And we find this, you know, kind of told to us by the writers of the, of the Gospels in different ways. But one of the most explicit is in John 1, verse 14. And if you remember, we, we did a sermon series in the book of John. This is actually, this sermon was like a couple weeks before we shut everything down, which is kind of wild to think about. Um, but we, we talked about this a little bit there, but I want to return to it. And this is where we see heaven in a person, Okay, so John 1.14, the word became flesh, and if you look at your normal translation, it'll probably say something like, made his dwelling with us, that's kind of what you normally see, but the actual Greek word there um, is the, the word that would have been used in Greek to describe the tabernacle, a tent. So, you, you know, when you read it, it should actually read, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And so it's clear that John intends us to see this sort of heaven and earth overlap of what the tabernacle or temple was in a person. Now think about this even deeper, okay? This is really wild when you think about it. Okay? This is key. A person who lived in a neighborhood, who lived in a city, who you could sit down with, who you could talk to over food and drinks, who was a son, a brother, a uncle, a nephew, a neighbor, a friend to others who went to weddings and parties and gatherings with, uh, with families, who had a trade that he worked at diligently, right? Who, who got up every morning and went to work and did this thing as a job for a living, who interacted with all, you know people from his work uh, because of that, who, who also ran into people on the street, who, who talked with him, had conversations with them, whether they were respected people or lowly people in society, who got tired and took naps and felt stress and anxiety, who had habits and daily routines, who had a close circle of friends and who had to sort of keep uh, focus and press on through all of it, okay? That person himself was this overlap between heaven and earth. The walking, talking, breathing embodiment of the reconciliation of these two spaces once again, Okay. A person himself where, is, is where now people experience God in his presence. That's what's going on here. That's what John is describing. And this is a new thing, right? This is different, you know, before it was buildings or gardens, okay, but now it's a person and their lived life where God's presence dwells and where people experience God. It's really, really mind-blowing when you think about that. That's, that's what John is communicating to us here in, in verse 1. And that's what, how we should understand Jesus's ministry, as God's space coming and spreading to ours now as people interact with him. Now, this overlap doesn't stop with Jesus, okay? It actually we get connected to this. And this idea gets woven into the view of the church throughout the entire rest of the New Testament. And so we find heaven in a group of people now. This is in 1 Corinthians 3.16, where Paul says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Okay, God's presence dwells with us as the church through the Holy Spirit in our midst. Okay? And so Jesus is the mediator. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice that makes us cleanse so that God's presence can dwell with us. And this is what we find in, you know, in that passage in, in Acts 2, if you're familiar with it, Pentecost. The, the, the flames come down and rest on people's heads, and they start speaking in tongues, right? That really famous passage where the Holy Spirit comes on people. We should understand that as like God's presence coming to dwell with them as if a temple. And again, you know, read the, if you want this full story on that, read the paper. I can send you, you can, it'll make sense to you. Um, but what, what, what we're doing is we're being invited now to, as a church, as a people who follow Jesus, whose God's spirit dwells with, we're being invited to become a sort of like living temple where our lives are the bricks and the work of Jesus is like the mortar that holds it together, housing God's presence in our midst. And so whether that's here on Sunday mornings. Right? When we gather together on Sunday mornings every week, God's presence is in our midst, whether it's in our community groups right, or, or, or gatherings where we get together as people who follow Jesus. God's presence is, is gathering in our midst. We are a temple. We are God's—the overlap. We're a wireless hotspot of his presence on earth. Okay, so that means that when we hang out, we're not just hanging out as friends. We are doing that, but there's something more going on. Okay, we're not just a friend group, a social club of people who have a similar interest, right? just like any other club like, that you might be a part of. Okay, we are a place where God has set his presence and his name among. Okay? And so we should be different. We should be hard to explain. We should be otherworldly. We should feel different than the world around us. And it's not just about the light show or the music or the experience that people can have in churches. Like, that's, you know, that can be God's presence. It can work through that. But that's not really what it's about, is creating some emotion. It's that um, God is worshiped by people with all their hearts. His reign has extended into a group of people fully, where he's loved, he's desired, he's followed as king. And we now mediate that presence to each other and also to other people outside of this space. So our church should have unity, holiness. It should have the things that mark up the temple. We should be, you know, aware of, of making our church look like that as much as possible. But it's not just the church. We need to have that sort of intentionality in our own lives as well. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians, he's actually moving ahead just a couple of chapters or scroll down your phone just a little bit, and you'll see him take this temple idea up a little more, but apply it now to us in our bodies specifically. So 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now, Paul is talking here specifically in this passage about how we use our bodies for sexual action, okay? That's, so, that's the context of this all, but I think the idea is this. Don't let your body, where your thoughts, your beliefs, your desires, your loves are lived out in practice, right? Because the things that we hold dear in our heads and our hearts, they don't just stay there. They, 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 be, they become lived out in our lives, in our habits, our, our rhythms, our practices, in the things our bodies actually do. Don't let those places where God's spirit dwells be a place where impurity or unholiness or wickedness can seize upon and then come out of, where God doesn't rule, but something else rules. Okay? We have to be intentional with our lives and our bodies so that they reflect the fact that God's Spirit is in our midst. And so we need to live as people who are holy, who have this understanding under Jesus' reign in our lives. We need to dedicate our lives to God as a living temple. Now the implications of this, there's a lot of them, and we want to you know talk about some big ones here. And Julie's going to talk about them in a little bit, um, you know, specifically, kind of like call to action. Um, but but before that, I want to I want to talk a little bit you know, first about some comfort that can come from this, okay? So if you know the book of Corinthians, you know it's kind of notorious for being like the worst group of Christians you could ever imagine that are assembled together. They're the most untemple-like group of people you could think of probably, right? I don't know. You could probably devise worse in your head, but it's pretty bad, okay? They're division among themselves, rivalry. They're competing with each other for, you know, who's the best. Um, they have these sort of Uh, you know, things that they're doing that Paul's like in disbelief over. He's like, even like the the worst pagans you can think of don't do this stuff. And you guys are like, you know, endorsing it. You're proud of the fact that you're doing this stuff. Um, Okay, but at no point in the letter does Paul ever say anything like, you're not the place that God dwells. Okay, there's an assurance to this, that God's, you know, in our midst through Jesus, and he continues to dwell with us even when we really suck at it, when we really fail to live it out. We remain God's temple, the place of his presence. And we can find comfort in that. When we stumble, when we don't take it seriously, um, we should find comfort or assurance in that. If we're not shocked by that, I think we're kind of missing the point. But this shouldn't make us entitled or lazy either. Okay? It should give us a sense of urgency with how we live our lives. Okay? We're supposed to be a city on a hill, a beacon to the world around us, sort of radiating this dwelling love of God that's in our, in our midst so that other people can experience that presence. We want, and we want people to know, when they think of Red City, like, that, that they're going to encounter God you know, when they're in our midst or when they're you know, meeting people from Red City. We would love to be known for that as a, as a church. And this is where we get into the idea of in St. Paul as it is in heaven, because when we think of it like that, it kind of helps root this not in the abstract, right? But in something specific in what we're doing, something that we can kind of take on as an identity or, or, or you know, put to our actions. Okay, um, it's not just like you know I should eat healthier, right? Kind of in the abstract, but it's like no, here's my meal plan for the week. Right, I know that I'm don't have any sugar in any of the meals or anything like that. That I'm, you know, I, I'm taking steps to not just eat healthier, but to like actually do it. Okay, when we think of it like in St. Paul, as it is in heaven, I think that helps us to think of it that way, because we're not the audience, right? That we're not just like an audience that gets to watch God do stuff. Okay? Our lives, lived in St. Paul, here in the Twin Cities, are the space that God does his work in. Okay? We're the, our lives are the building that contains his presence. And so we can't be, you know, I, I think a lot of times we think of God's presence. We wish God would show up and do something, right? And I think in those moments where, like, someone who's, you know, like, where are my car keys at? You, never, you ever had that happen, right? Where you're like, where are my keys at? I can't find them anywhere. And then you realize it's in your hand? Have you ever had that happen to you? I think we can be like that with God's presence a lot of times, where we we're like, "Where's God at? Where's God at? Where's God at?" And we forget that He's already in our midst. His His spirit dwells within us, and our lives are the place where that's going to be experienced many times. Okay, whether it's you know other people mediating God to us, or 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 us mediating other uh, God to them. So when people ask questions like, "Does God love me? Do I matter to Him? What is He doing in the world?" When people ask, "Who is God?" I think oftentimes God wants the answer to that question to be um, us in our lives as individuals, because he said, my presence is going to be in your midst, okay? So our lives are the place where people are going to experience God, where they're going to find out who God is. And we got to take that seriously, I think, okay? I think you can find a lot of examples where people don't really take that seriously, and others are really hurt in their view of who God is because of that, Okay. If we reverse engineer that, it actually gives us a chance to really mediate God's presence well when we're intentional of it, when we view our lives and, and our, our, our work as a church as a sort of temple, a space that God's presence dwells, where God will meet us and others in. God is in our midst. So what do we do with that? And Julie is going to tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah. So if we're thinking, as Joel has been saying, about heaven being God's space and us trying to see God's space flourish here um, in our midst and our presence and in the world around us, I think one of the things that we can look at is just what does God's space look like? And there's a lot of ways you can look at that. There's a lot of places in scripture that can show us that. Um, but this morning, I want to just talk a little bit. Um, we're going to look at it from Revelation. So in the book of Revelation, um, there's a vision of what God's space looks like, of what's happening there. Uh, there's lots of stuff in there. It's a long book, and some of it's, as Joel said, not really understandable from our perspective. Um, but there are some passages that I think really help highlight what does it look like for us to be... Bring God's space here uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's three things that we're really going to talk about this morning as ways that we can do that as a church. Um, and they're sort of individual and corporate in each of them. So the first one is just Jesus at the center. So this is one of our values as a church. Um, It always comes back to this because without Jesus, there is no way that we have God's space with us. As Joel talked about, he was the one who came and brought it. He reconciled us to God so that we could be in God's presence. Um, It all comes through him, and so we have to keep him at the center of everything we do as individuals, and as a church. Uh, And in Revelation 21, we see uh, a picture of what that looks like and what it looks like to have Jesus fully in the center um, of our lives and what it it will look like one day. So in Revelation 21... um, I actually can't read the screen from here, even with my new glasses. Uh, But some of the ideas that you really see come out of it is that we can worship him fully. There's no barriers. We actually get to be present with him as we uh, dwell. We get to dwell with him, and he is our God, and we are his people, and it talks about how that really is a, a healing thing. There's all this restoration that happens. There's no more death. There's no more pain or sin. Everything is restored to the way that God intended it to be. And that's our hope. That's the that's kind of our guiding light, our thing that when we think about what does it look like to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus is the, the center point, the guiding light in all of it. And it's honestly a chance for us to worship him fully. And if that doesn't sound appealing to you, if the idea of like being able to just fully worship God in everything all the time, uh, my guess is that there's one of two things happening. One, it might not sound appealing to you because your vision of what worship is, is limited to what we just did before Joel and I came up here, where we're singing, um, we're standing together, and it would just be like nonstop singing forever and ever. And maybe you're like, sorry, Zach, but that does not sound appealing to me. I do not want that to be what like, it looks like, and I don't want to do that here now. Um, and if that's what you're thinking, I just want to encourage you that worship is so much more than that. There's so much more than just singing together. There's even so much more than just gathering together on Sunday mornings. Worship is a way of life. It's a chance to look at Jesus as the center of your life in everything. It's a a way to think about him and following his call, acknowledging him as Savior in every aspect of your life. So any decisions you're making, any things that you're, you know, your your work— your parenting, your friendships, your everything you do, having Jesus at the center and worshiping him as you do those things. And that's something we get to do now, right? We get to worship God in our lives here. We've been given a purpose. I think a lot of us sometimes feel like, what am I even doing with my life? Uh, you know, days feel mundane. Everything feels like it kind of is the same. And I think we're heading into a season where things are gonna feel more... Um, routine, and where it might start to feel like, what am I even doing? I just get up, and I do the same thing every day, and then I go home, and I don't, you know, what's my purpose here? And, and this is our purpose, individually and as a church, is to keep Jesus at the center, to worship him fully. So that's part of our vision. That's part of what we want to do, um, and I think as the last couple of years have happened, it's been... In some senses, maybe sometimes uh, some seasons have felt easier to worship Jesus if you've been feeling a lot of stress or if it's just been a hard season. Um, And other times I think it's easy to fall into like, okay, this is my new routine and I don't really have to do things that make me uncomfortable. I can kind of just lean towards convenience. And so I kind of think of it sometimes on a spectrum of like between convenience and calling. And if our calling is to worship Jesus and to follow him fully and to to keep him at the center of everything we do, convenience is like putting ourselves at the center, right? It's like, what do I want? What makes me happy? What's easiest for me in this moment? Instead of thinking, what would it look like for me to worship Jesus? How might he be calling me to live my life in a way that worships him and glorifies him? Or how can I be an ambassador of Christ for where I am right now? And so Part of this idea of keeping Jesus at the center is for us to lean into our calling, to lean away from convenience, to not just continue to think about what's best for us or what we want, but to think about what it looks like to follow Jesus and to keep him at the center of our lives. And if you're hearing all of this and you're like, yeah, okay, my vision of worship has been widened. I'm not picturing us just singing forever and ever and ever Uh, and you're still not feeling like this is something that sounds appealing to be able to, you know, be with God fully and to be in his presence, then I would think, I think we need to go back to the beginning. I think we need to, you know, if that's where you're at, let's just full stop here. Your only thing that you uh, are, we're asking you to consider in this next season is what it looks like to be with Jesus, to spend time with him, to go back to being in his presence and the more that we do that, the more time that we learn about who he is, that we choose to follow him, that we worship him, I think the more and more he's going to become um, important to us and real to us and something that we want to center our lives around. Because we, before we can do anything at an individual or on a church level, we need to be with Jesus. We need to be with him before we do anything that has to do with him. And so If that's where you're at, if you're feeling like, yeah, I just really haven't had that time. I haven't been making the time to be with Jesus. I'm not feeling that uh, desire to worship him or it's just like not something that even sounds appealing to me. I would say, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to spending time with him and being in his presence. And if that's something that you're struggling with, talk to other people. That's the beauty of being able to do this in community with one another is that we all have this presence of God and we're all trying to tap into that and to lean into it and to follow him and to worship him fully. So if, the, if you're there, again, like I said, full stop, you don't even have to listen to the rest of the sermon if you don't want to. Uh, I just want you to focus on what it looks like to experience Jesus through scripture, through prayer, through worship, talking about him with other people, um, whatever it is because we have to start with him. He's the one who makes any of this possible. He gives us the reason as to why we even you know exist or do anything as a church. and he's the one who gives us the power to go on and to do any of these other things that we're going to talk about. So that first piece is just Jesus at the center. Um, the second one is about expanding community. So the community of people that gets described in Revelation and in the new heavens and in the new earth, when everything is made right and God comes back, is this beautiful picture of this diverse community that has all of these different tribes and tongues and nations, or as we might say, different people groups, languages, countries, all these things, but we're united in this common factor of wanting to worship Jesus. And as we think about that future community of people, we realize that in the present, some of those people don't yet know Jesus. They haven't yet experienced him. They haven't had that life-transforming experience of being made new in Christ. And that's where part of our calling comes in. We as individuals and as the church are called to, while we're on earth, share the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's part of how we pray and act to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. One verse that always kind of comes back to my mind when I think about this idea is 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. And in it, uh, he says, but do not forget this one thing. They're talking about kind of the end of time or the end days, the last days. And he says, don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So it's just a good reminder for me whenever I read that, that God's timing is is his and he has reasons for it. And part of that is that he has people here in the present who he wants to come to know him. And we get to be a part of that. And so as I was thinking about this, I know that whenever I, I feel like I talk about evangelism or whenever it gets brought up, I sense a kind of an uncomfortableness of talking about it or thinking about it. Um, and I recently read the, uh, the Barna Group, which is a research group. They just did a big study on evangelism and how people think about it or respond to it, whether it's Christians or non-Christians or lapsed Christians. They kind of covered the whole thing. And it was so interesting. I started reading it and I couldn't stop because I felt so seen by some of the research and I felt, I think I think this is how people in our church feel too. And so some of the statistics that stood out to me, um, specifically about millennials, which their definition included Gen Z as well, so just younger people in general, uh, said 65% of millennials believe that being a witness about Jesus is a part of their faith. And 68% strongly agree that the best thing that could happen to someone is for them to know Jesus. So, and I know when I talk with you and when we talk about this, I know you know and, and feel that this is something that's important. But the second part of the research showed that nearly half of millennial Christians, practicing Christians, say it's wrong to evangelize or feel like it's wrong to evangelize. And that is something I I feel, right? In our culture, it feels like this is not something I should do. I shouldn't be telling someone what to think or what to believe or trying to convince somebody of something. Everybody should be able to do their own thing. And so there's this tension, right? Because as Christians, we feel like this is something I should do. And then as people in the world, we feel like this is really something I shouldn't do. This is something that's bad and frowned upon. And so, all with all of that, I just wanted to take a minute to reframe this concept of evangelism. Because to me, evangelism doesn't have to include going up to strangers. It doesn't have to include using a track or a booklet that you can hand out to somebody. It doesn't have to be gimmicky. Uh, it doesn't even have to include having all of the right answers. Evangelism, as I would define it, is just building relationships and being your authentic self. And so, What I mean by that is just getting to know people in an honest way, not as some kind of like agenda or as a project, but just really honestly getting in relationship with people, getting to know them, and being yourself as you do that. And some of the research, one of the things that stood out to me too, said that the number one quality that non-Christians are looking for in someone that they want to talk about faith with. So when they think about who would be a good person to talk about spiritual things with, the number one quality that they are looking for is not having all the right answers. It's not even someone who like has this robust faith life that they can see and they admire. They actually, that was really low on the list actually. The number one thing that people are looking for is someone who listens without judgment. And I know that all of you can do that, right? I see that in our community here. And I think we need to take that in our community and bring that out in the other relationships that we have. We need to show people that we care about them and that we want to hear what they have to say and what they think and be able to listen without judgment. And I'm not saying you never talk, right? I'm not saying you never share or that this is just one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, just, what's the old saying that you always see on church um, bulletin board things that like, share the gospel and use words if you have to or something like that? I'm not saying that, Right? I am just saying that we need to be people who are able to listen and to care well for others. And as part of that, we do share what we believe. And I think people do care when you're in relationship with someone. They want to know what you think and what you believe. Um, And there's a pastor in Portland, Michelle D. Jones. I like how she says it. She says, live the truth you tell. So live like you actually believe that, you know, Jesus died for you and rose again and all these things. And then tell the truth you live. So be your authentic self, right? Have there be consistency between what you believe and how you live and what you talk about and what you say. It's just as, I know that sounds like that, that's too easy or that's not evangelism. But honestly, that is how I think our current culture, what it calls for, I think is just being able to build relationships with people and to uh, be yourself and honestly live your life the way that you're called to um, and not be afraid to talk about it. And part of, one of the big things about that is that in order to do that, we need to actually get out of our comfort zones and be in relationship with people who are different from us. Uh, again, some of the research showed that the, our younger generations, us and the generations that are coming uh, up, are some of the most like, segmented. They spend all of their time with people who believe and act and think the same way that they do. And I'm definitely guilty of that myself. And so if we are ever going to bring that presence of God out into the world and to try to see that good news shared with other people, we need to be in relationship with people who don't already know that, with people who are different from us. Um, And when you look at Jesus, I mean, he spent a lot of time not with like the people that were just like him and, you know, wanted to know the same things he knew, he spent time with the marginalized. He spent time with people who did not know these things, who were poor, who didn't have access to the types of things that he maybe had access to. And I think if we really want to take this call seriously, we need to be able to do that as well. All right. And the last, uh, point, our last thing that we're kind of going after in this season is the idea of a renewed city. And so this is part of our vision as well. Um, And it kind of is a natural flowing out of if we have Jesus at the center of everything we do and we're bringing that into our relationships that we have with people who are different from us, hopefully an outflow of that is going to be that we're going to see change in our cities. God doesn't just desire to see us made new. It's not just a personal thing, but he desires to see everything, the society, the city, the culture, even earth and nature. He wants that to be transformed. Um, and we see in Revelation, in that b- picture of what is to come, uh, we see that it's not that the city in the world is just burned and everything starts over, right? We don't just burn it down and start over. You actually see that there it is a city. It's something that uh, is brought in in Revelation 5. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God. So we aren't just going to live in clouds, like up in in space or, you know, however (laughs) you've maybe thought of heaven before, Uh, but it's actually going to be a city. And so we see that in in scripture and we see that all of the best things are brought into the city and it's all renewed and everything is made new. And I think it's easy to be really cynical about a lot of stuff in our world right now. Uh, It's easy to see broken people, broken leaders, broken systems. Even the earth itself is showing us its brokenness. And it's easy to be cynical and be like, I just don't, I can't, I'm out. You know, like I can't can't deal with all of the brokenness around me. And yet we know that God has a plan, right? He is going to bring restoration to all of that brokenness. And we get to play a part in that. We know that he's the only one who can fix it, right? I have no um, pretense in my mind that anything we could do now is going to like fix everything, right? I think we all have seen the brokenness goes much deeper than anything we're able to fix on our own. And yet, God calls us to be a part of it. He calls us to join in his work. And so that's what we hope to do with loving our neighbors and being involved in different places, right? We've got this event with Hamlin coming up, an opportunity to uh, interact with lots of families and students and help out with brokenness in the the neighborhood. We've got other things coming up. We partner with some different organizations that you've heard us talk about. Um, And so, I just encourage you to get involved. I think it's easy to think, I'll get involved once I have kids or I'll get involved once I you know, buy a house or whatever it is. And I just wanna encourage you, your life's only gonna get busier when those things happen. So if you're thinking, I'll be able to do it then, it's not going to happen. If you're not making the time for it now, it's not going to happen in the future. And so I just encourage you, what does it look like for you? I know it's going to be different for you than it is for me um, because we live in different places and we have different interests and different passions and giftings, but what does it look like for you to bring the gifts that God has given you um, to serve that purpose of helping make things new, to to bring God's newness into the spaces um, that need it? So, Those are kind of our three things we're looking at in this season, keeping Jesus at the center, expanding community through loving others and building relationships, and helping see our city be made new, getting involved in those efforts. Um, We're going to wrap things up now and head into a time of worship and communion, uh, but Joel's going to lead us in a time of prayer and kind of set that up for us before we do.
1: Yeah, so uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll worship and uh, take some communion. Lord, we thank you that you um, you don't leave us on our own, uh, despite the fact that we have uh, said we could rule the world better than you. We could rule ourselves better than you. Our knowledge, our wisdom is sufficient. Uh, God, you you do not leave us on our own, but you continue to come and to dwell in our midst in different ways. Um through the the tabernacle through the temple through jesus and now through your spirit god which is in our midst i pray that we would not lose uh that vision for ourselves for who we are uh, for who we are as a church for who we are as a as a global population of christians help us to keep that present in our minds Um, help us to have wisdom to know what it means for us to live that out that you know, there may, it would be, uh, as it is in heaven, it would be here in St. Paul, um, or wherever it is we live, whatever neighborhood we live in, God. Help us to, to, to live that out in a way that honors you well. Um, we pray this in the name of Jesus, who makes all of this possible. Amen.